You've probably heard it all before, but this time, let Dr. Lanker connect the dots in a way that makes the Christian faith come alive. I'm your host, Dr. Jason Lanker, and I'm here to help you connect the dots. As a pastor and professor for the last 30 years, I want to help you not only understand the Christian faith, but to make it a transformative part of your everyday experience. Join me as we connect the dots. In our last episode, we saw how important the story of the rich young ruler was to understanding this question of, can you be saved, have eternal life in heaven, enter the kingdom of God, and not be a disciple? His life, or his rejection of life in Jesus, would be stated better, shows us how intimately connected discipleship is with eternal life in heaven, the kingdom of God, and salvation itself. Most often in our lives, we disconnect salvation, heaven, the kingdom from discipleship. It's, it's an add-on. It's a, it's a, if you want it, you could have it. If you want to be a super Christian. No, to be a Christian is to be a disciple. And to be a disciple is to have the heavens and all of its goodness open to us through our great Savior, Jesus Christ, alone. When we make a statement that strongly, our minds wrestle with it, rightfully, and we need to wrestle with it. And one of the places that in teaching this subject for years that I've had students and friends go to, and it's a great place to go to, is what about the thief on the cross? And so I want us all to go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 23 to be able to look at this important story of this thief who finds himself on this cross dying for his rightful sins that he tells us about and tells the other thief about if you know the story. As we do, I want to do what we did in our last episode and what we've been doing throughout Connecting the Dots, which is to pay attention to what the words actually say and not make them say something else. I love the story of the thief on the cross because it just shows us how essential it is to have Jesus as our rabbi and to have our lives submitted to him in order to have and experience salvation, eternal life in heaven, and the kingdom of God. So let's follow along with this story. In verse 33 of chapter 23, he says, When they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right, one on the left. Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. What's he asking for by offering forgiveness? He's offering salvation. He wants them to be saved. They cast lots, dividing up his garments among them. And the people stood by, looking on, and even the rulers were sneering at him. He saved others. Let him save himself, if this is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The the rulers rightfully are saying, you know what, in our minds, uh, if you're the Messiah, if you're the Christ, if you're the promised king over a kingdom, then uh, you should be able to deliver and to heal anybody or anything. But it looks like you're on a cross right now, so that isn't going to happen, is it? And they're mocking him rightfully in their minds because they see that this is not what the Messiah should be. The soldiers join in on this and they say, you are the king of the Jews. Save yourself. Now, there was also this inscription, this is the king of the Jews. 
And so what Luke wants us to get at this point is that here is the promised king who was going to bring salvation, who was going to bring deliverance and healing for his people. And yet there's this contrast that he is dying, unable to save himself or others. What's he going to do here? The criminals, one of them who was there, was hurling abuse at him as well, saying, are you not the Christ? Are you not the promised king of the kingdom of Israel? Save yourself and us. It's been built up as full as it possibly can at this point. And this is where Luke uses this really quick interchange to be able to get us to the heart of the gospel, to this good news. But the other answered and rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? We indeed are suffering justly, for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. One thief is mocking Jesus. The other one says, I am so much of a sinner, there is no way that I could ever be saved. I am damned. This was a a deep Jewish understanding of our relationship with the God of this universe, with Yahweh. If you haven't done right, then you're in trouble. You're for sure cut off from him. But this man, and he says it, and this is just one of the most basic Christian beliefs, that when Jesus died, he died for our sins. He wasn't dying for his. He was the perfect Lamb of God. Who's the first person ever to make that statement? It's a thief on the cross. Is it because he studied theology for 15 years and had all these conversations? No, because revelation is always from God. Deep insight into who Jesus is isn't a work of his effort. It's a work of God's grace. And God reveals to him, hey, here's this guy here. He's done nothing wrong. And yet he's dying. He shouldn't be in this place. He doesn't understand the full extent of it. But he sees this difference. And this is not anything that's said here. But there's something of a disconnect because the way he reacts to Jesus is completely different than everybody else in the scene. It's different than the religious leaders. It's different than the soldiers. It's different than the other sinner who's on the cross. It's different than Jesus's disciples because they've all run away. They bet on the wrong pony. Jesus was going to be the king who was going to set them free. He's up on a cross. There's no way that his kingdom is going to come and God's will is going to be done. How did they miss this? They're in closets, scared for their lives, completely confused. And then listen to the words of this sinner on a cross when he says, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. Everybody in that scene knows that Jesus has no kingdom. He is not the Messiah. He's a joke. He's an imposter. This one man believes that death is not the end of Jesus's kingdom. It is the beginning. And if he has a kingdom where he can rule and death does not stop him from that kingdom, then this is only God come in human flesh. This is the one that cannot be kept from his rightful position by something as small as death on a cross. 
And this is what Jesus says in response to his request. And he said to him, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Another way of saying that you will be mine in paradise. I will take you to myself. Now, the the Jewish view of paradise was that it was this garden where Abraham kind of oversaw this feast as the father of these people. And and like we see in the story of the rich man and Lazarus, to, to enter into paradise was to enter into a Jewish feast, to be brought back to your family and to all the people who've died before you. And it was to have the most intimate relationship by laying your head on Abraham's belly and hearing him digest this great meal. Something that would gross us out was there understanding and their way of viewing just like, man, life is the way that it's supposed to be. What is Jesus offering this man with his faithful response, his his faithful statement that, hey, your kingdom is going to come. You are the rightful king. If he's the rightful king, what can he do? He can save. He can save Even a wretch like him, he can deliver him from his rightful death. He can heal him. He can give him eternal life in the heavens by bringing him into intimate relationship with God and all of his people. And he will be a part of his eternal kingdom. What does this man want? He wants Jesus. He wants to be his follower who goes with him wherever he goes. And what does Jesus offer him? He offers to let him follow him right in to the fullness of the heaven. This man in a split second moves from being a sinner to being a saint, being one cut off to being a true disciple of Jesus Christ. It's just like a child that's born. One moment, they're non-existent. The next moment, They are our child. They have our name. They have our life. They are reborn and forever our. God's work in the human heart is a work that does more, more than we could ever imagine if we're simply willing to have faith, to trust beyond what we can see at the moment, and to believe that Jesus can lead us forward. When everybody else is mocking, when everybody else who should believe is in hiding, even in our worst places, if we believe that he will establish his eternal kingdom, that he will save, he will not only give us his kingdom, he will not only save us, he will give us his life today, tomorrow, and forevermore, we will forever be his followers, following in his footsteps, becoming more and more like him, the firstborn of a whole new creation, living life the way that it was supposed to be lived. And he will forever lead us forward in this eternal journey in the heavens. This is good news. This is something worth giving up our lives for in order to have this life that God offers to us so free. I pray that this just isn't information, but that this becomes a life, a new life in us and a new life through us. As we simply accept 
Jesus's offer of discipleship. And in accepting that offer, experience the fullness that he has to offer each and every person and ultimately all of creation to set it right, to bring it close, and to repurpose it forever and forever. Amen. If you enjoyed listening today, please subscribe to our podcast. And if you'd like more information, please visit us at drjasonlanker.com. That's D-R-Jason-L-A-N-K-E-R. May you go in the grace of God, and may you not just understand the Christian faith, but live it more fully this week.